Hi, and welcome to another episode on the Religion of Human Nature podcast. I have a very special episode uh, this today where we're discussing political discourse and how we talk to people on either other sides of the aisles or with different political beliefs than we have. Uh, and I have two special guests because I know them and uh, have uh, lived with one, Jeremy uh, Hobson, who was um, the host of Here and Now on NPR for many years. Uh, we were in the fraternity together back in college before he left us all behind in Champagne. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jeremy. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Good to talk to you. And another dear friend of mine, Gabe Roth, uh, who is the executive director of Fix the Court, uh, an organization he's going to tell us a little bit about in a, a little bit. Gabe, how's New York City? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bummed there wasn't a shout out about how we used to live together in our uh, last year of Camp Bunk. That's true. Actually, that's that's fair. You've both been roommates of mine. Um, that's right. Actually, no, just time. Jeremy, I got to say, I think you were the person who told me to turn on the TV on 9-11. I was. It is actually one of the most important moments in my life is telling uh, uh, someone who actually covered the story that it was happening. You're like, no, it's not a... Come on. That's not a... <laughs> You're <laughs> Wow. It's, not something, it's not news you usually wake up to. It was a, an emotional day. I remember on campus, obviously, for weeks, months. And um, obviously, Jeremy, you were an important part of that. Uh, it's, people don't still don't believe to me, me today when I tell them one of my college friends had to cover the story. Like, they didn't understand. But he was in college. And like, well, he was very good at what he does. <laughs> so uh, it's a compliment to you. To you. I want to I start, Jeremy. Um, with you and um, you, you had such an important show uh, and you've interviewed so many people. What happens when you're, you begin and you're orchestrating a, an interview or a conversation with someone who really has diff difficult uh, points of view for you to grapple with or just very much you disagree with them? How do you keep that, you know, that experience and that conversation going? I mean, I think that I always have to start from the perspective of my audience and my listeners and making sure that I am the advocate for them and um, asking the questions that they would want to, to know the answers to, but also being prepared enough to respond um, when somebody says something that needs to be corrected or that there's another, there's another viewpoint for. Um, I'll just give you an example. I was, I was interviewing uh, Ben Carson, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, right after Trump went into the, um, you know, uh, cleared the area at uh, Lafayette Square and with the tear gas and then went in and, and stood with the Bible in front of the church. And they, they, we, we got an interview with Ben Carson and I did it and I, you know, prepared for it. And one of the things that I, that I discovered in my reading over the, you know, the 12, I had about 12 hours notice I was gonna to talk to him. And one of the things I discovered was that they were saying that it wasn't tear gas. And, and so I was reading up about that. And it turned out that in fact, the, the chemical that they used, while it's not tear gas, it is commonly referred to as tear gas. And so then I bring that up and I said, was it really necessary for for you to use tear gas on these peaceful protesters. And he goes, well, it wasn't tear gas. And I was ready for to, to say that in fact, you know, it's commonly referred to as tear gas. But the point is, I think, you know, you have to be 
you have to be ready. You have to be prepared. You have to be, you have to, to, to have some sense also that helps you to have a little bit of a sense of what they're going to say. Maybe you don't, maybe they say something totally that is unexpected and you have to react in the moment, but you've got the listener in mind the whole time. You've got, you know, you're an advocate for the people that, that are hearing you. That's great. And it, it's important to, I, I think part of the debates is that we are prepared, right? So Gabe, you, you absolutely deal with debates, uh, literally, quite literally. All the time. And it's funny because <laughs> I've also interviewed Ben Carson, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so Gabe, tell us a little bit about Fix the Court and what sort of you guys do and what happens when you meet sort of that friction on the other side of sort of what you're trying to do. Sure. So we, uh, Fix the Court is the only national nonpartisan organization that's solely dedicated to improving transparency and accountability in the federal judiciary. So uh, that's both the Supreme Court and the lower federal courts. There's 13 appeals courts and 94 trial courts in the federal level in addition to the Supreme Court. Um, and we work, there's direct lobbying to the courts, to the judges, I know many of them. We also work with members of Congress on the left and the right to try to pass laws or resolutions, trying to get the courts to open up. And the general theory behind my organization is there's three branches of government, Congress has oversight, uh, the executive branch has oversight, and there's a real lack of oversight in the judiciary. And at a time when the courts are playing such a central role in our lives, I think way more than the founders intended, way more than it was when we all were kids, uh, in terms of being the final arbiters on everything from marriage to healthcare to guns to the presidential election, the past one, and possibly the one that's ongoing now at the time of your recording, if they're going to have this outsized role in American life, they have to have some backstops, some accountability and transparency measures akin to what the other branches have. So yeah, we get a lot of reticence on that. I mean, there are folks that don't believe that Congress can enact laws to stop the courts from being opaque. Uh, that's not true, but I get I hear separation of powers issues all the time. Members within the judiciary itself, I wrote a letter with a bunch of folks, a bunch of other groups uh, trying to get the courts to open up all of their um, election related hearings to live audio and video, and they don't want to do that, right? They don't want cameras in the courtroom and the live audio that they're allowing. They're really only allowing it for COVID, so it's not really set up very well. Um, and, you know, I think that it's hard. What's really changed, though, in the last few months is that this has become, you know, the courts have become a political football in ways that I hadn't expected, right? So, like, there are folks on the left that want to add six justices to the Supreme Court. Um, and there are folks on the right that are claiming that this whole idea of changing the makeup of the court doesn't comport with the constitution or American history. I mean, I think both arguments are cockamamie. The court has changed size a dozen times and uh, Congress has every right to, to do what it wants. But on the one hand, on the other hand, the last time it, it was changed in the number of the justices on the court tried, it was a big national crisis. So, you know, I try to, my own political views aside, though I'm fairly lucky that this aligns fairly well with my political views, but I try to keep things in the 40 yard lines. I try to, you know, explain to folks that transparency and accountability aren't partisan issues just because a bill might have more Democrats or than Republicans. Everything that I do, I try to pitch to both sides. And I think that there's just a basic expectation of accountability in modern governance. And my job is to sort of prove it to both parties, right? The most conservative Republican staffer reached out to me and one of the most liberal Democrat uh, staffer, like this exists, uh, maybe not when the cameras are off, but behind the scenes, 
I do think there is a lot of uh, places that we can we can work together. It's just uh, it, it does get increasingly hard when um, you know the, the 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 court itself is is just become such a such a hot button issue that uh, that the idea of working together isn't as sexy as it was when the courts were sort of in the background. Yeah. So we so we're for those who are listening. This is going to come out a few weeks later, but we are. It is uh, November fifth. We still, it's middle of the day and we still do not have an announced president of the United States. So for those in context, uh, if, you know, who knows what's gonna happen, this will be released for a couple of weeks. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm watching sort of the news and, and maybe I'll throw this out to either of you. Um, and it still seems like there's a breakdown in how we speak to one another. Um, the way I'm watching the country and that there's you know, they're talking about blue waves and red waves. And if you look at a map, there's a lot of blue and a lot of red. And, you know, even if the populist vote is 3 million and the, with the large, they're saying the largest gap that's ever been in, in the popular vote, it's still like 51%, 49%, 50 50-50. So how do we go about, obviously what the strategies anyone used over the last four years in, in, in a way to talk to people kindly and, and have real conversations has not improved. Uh, I, I'm going to make that statement. Maybe you guys don't have to, but yeah, well, Jeremy. Uh, you know, th I think this may sound silly two weeks from now, but <laughs> two, two, two things that, that struck me uh, on election night as I was watching what was going on was number one, our polling is a disaster. And number two, I think the media have done a very bad job of getting outside of their own bubbles. I think the fact that they were so shocked that certain places in this country, you know, Texas and Ohio and Florida were further to the right and didn't go for Joe Biden, um, it, it speaks to the fact that a lot of the people in the media, and I was, you know, I've been in the media for 20 years, aren't actually getting outside of their bubbles and speaking to people who don't agree with them. And, or they're, they're tuning in to news that is, you know, coming from one side and not, not, not looking at the other. Um, you know, I think the other piece of that is that this whole thing about the hidden Trump voter, the, the Trump voter who doesn't want to tell the pollster that they're voting for Trump because it's just too much of a pain to get into that discussion with somebody. And I think that says, that says something right there, that people don't feel comfortable, that we've, 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 it's become so divisive that we, don't, we can't even have, you know, people can't even have friends that are on the other side of the political spectrum. When in fact, like if you think about it, most things that we, that, that, you know, the mo we, we actually have a lot in common with everybody in this country, even if we're not, you know, politically aligned on, on various issues. Um, I think that we have, we have, become more scared to talk to one another and be, um, and, and th those relationships are, are, I think, central to what's going on in, in this country right now. We're just, we're, we're, we're moving apart and, and getting into our little bubbles and not, not mixing and mingling um, in a way that um, would probably improve a lot of things if we did. Perfectly said. Gabe, you want to add anything? Oh, I completely disagree with all of that. <laughs> um, where to begin? Um, I think that that, that 
I, I look, to be honest though, I go back and forth. I think that in some respects, yes, the, the media needs to leave New York and Los Angeles and Chicago. And, you know, it's important to, to, I mean, it's always made fun of when the New York Times like discovers like the Alabama part of Pennsylvania or whatever, but um, that's the central in between Pittsburgh and, and Philadelphia. That's an, old, that's an old political saw. But anyway, um, you know, th I think that that is, you know, that, that sentiment is, is important and it's good and it's positive in a Jeb Bush world, right? I, generally, I like to see things, I'm very moderate politically. I've always been, I'm from Tennessee. I, you know, I voted for Democrats and Republicans in the past, but we're not in a, in a Jeb Bush, Joe Biden. I mean, yeah, Joe Biden's sort of like the, you know, typical old school uh, Republic, uh, Democratic moderate. I don't know how we deal with this just sort of outlandish, lie-filled, just totally divorced from reality part of the country. And, and it's, it's a dangerous situation, right? And even if you don't agree that it's, that it's dangerous and it's like the, the people that are voting for Trump are still, you know, by and large, more homophobic, more racist, more, more xenophobic than the rest of the population. And though there is, I think, opportunities to bridge certain gaps, there are, I don't think that there's enough that we're ever going to get 30 to 40 percent of the country to sort of say, OK, let's, you know, agree with black folks when they say that they're uh, life experience is harder than your rural whiteness or whatever. So, I, you know, I, as, as much as I, I want to, to, to think that, that there's some greater good, you know, when, when, when such a high percentage of the country doesn't care about facts, doesn't care about truth, is only, you know, social media is obviously making this worse. Like, I don't necessarily personally, and this is personally, right? This is, I'm not saying for any, I don't personally want to take the effort and say, hey, 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 Trump supporter who right now on Twitter is, is, is or on Facebook is, is, is spewing these like voter fraud lies, which are lies, they're lies. And the media did a shitty job in 2016 calling out these lies. I think they're doing a lot better in 2020. But um, I, I just don't think that, that it's worth my time as an individual to, 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 to try to, to, to stop the racism, the homophobia, the xenophobia, and, you know, I, I'm very lucky in my line of work that most federal judges, most almost, you know, none of the congressional staff that I work with are Trumpers. They're not, they're just not. They're all like Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, you know, Carly Fiorina, John Kasich types, which, which may have its own issues, but you know, it's not, it, it's based in, in, in the world of, of reality and based in the world of facts. I don't know the answer. I don't know how to get, and like, frankly, you, you know, it, it's one thing like, you know, Jeremy and I, well, you're both Jeremy. One of the Jeremy, <laughs> friend, you know, who, who voted for Trump in the primary in 2016. And we explained, I explained to him and his wife was like, this is not, you know, there's certain reasons that this is not okay. It's not Jeb Bush. It's not John Kasich. It's not um, even, you know, Ted Cruz, who I think would probably be more effective in all this craziness than, than, than Trump. But, you know, at least he's generally uh, tethered to reality. Um, you know, the reasons why this is dangerous. And, you know, he changed his vote and he voted for Biden this time. And that's, that's you know, but, but like the vast majority of people are just digging in, they're buying bigger and bigger flags to attach to their boats and their houses. And it's just, to me, I, I think we're way past the point, personally, again, this is me personally, um, especially when, you know, I'm in such a place of privilege as, as a white guy, you know, 
having a job like I, I just can't I just always think about okay yeah I, I should really understand the other side what they're saying where they're coming from but like am I expecting my friends of color to also try to no so I, I just I'm sort of I've sort of gone off the cliff here but uh but that's that's well, where my no, I would just say though that on. not all Trump supporters are QAnon believers who think that COVID-19 is a hoax and climate change is a hoax. Enough of them yeah. are. And that's just, you know, I, I, I'm working with the ADL right now on a letter to, to, to Speaker McCarthy saying, hey guys, let's not put QAnon supporters on committees. Let's Steve King them. Let's take them off committees. And like, that's fucked up. That is messed up that we, that this is the way I have to spend my time is, is talking to the ADL in 2020 to try to get not the conspiracy theorists not on my committees of jurisdiction. Like that's not happening on the left. And, 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 and the asymmetric polarization is just out of control. And the fact that the asymmetric post Tea Party asymmetric polarization moved from just being, you know, politically uh, uh, on the outskirts to just like totally untethered from facts is just, is not something that I'm willing to engage in. So, so Gabe, let, let, let me, and, and maybe I'll throw it to Jeremy first. You, you're, you're labeling, you, you, you mentioned several Republicans, right? Uh, Cruz and Kasich, et cetera, et cetera, who you feel, and I'm gonna label comfortable with as a, a, a realistic person to run, for, run government. You might not agree with their policies, but you would in defeat in your in your in your defeat. Uh, like if they won the president election, you wouldn't be like, oh, the world is going to blow up. Right. Or, or, or we're yeah, going to believe probably less likely to put kids in cages or to put Chris Kobach as the head of a fake. So, so 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 you took it to Trump. I didn't necessarily ask that question. What I asked was, how do we talk to the other side? So so I want to throw this back out to both of you as like. I, I didn't label the other side Trump. I, I, I labeled the sides Democrats and Republicans. And I would, would argue that there was bad rhetoric. Uh, let's leave fake news aside for a moment. That's a different episode. Um, but let's, let's like, um, how do we, how, how do, how does Nancy Pelosi begin to talk to, to John Kasich? And how do, how do your friends at the dinner table, as Jeremy was talking about before, who, yes, maybe one casted a vote for Trump because they're always going to vote Republican. Trump is just happens to be on the ticket, or they abstain because um, uh, they didn't. They just couldn't vote for a Republican and they couldn't vote for Trump. How do we talk to our friends? Uh, I, I don't. I don't believe, Gabe, that it's your responsibility or my responsibility or Jeremy's responsibility to convince everyone to come on over to the good side, whatever that good side may be. But how do we really talk to people? in the political world, uh, maybe Gabe, you're saying that it already is happening and just there's one individual who it's not and he happens to be the leader of the free world. Jeremy uh, or Gabe wanna chime in on- Look, I mean, I think Tr Trump, is, Trump is different in a million ways, you know, like he, he, I think, you know, there's a fear right now about what he'll do if, I mean, now again, two weeks from now, maybe we already know the answer to these questions, but, but um, what he'll do if he loses over the next two, two, three months until the next president comes in. And I think probably most Americans, especially on the left, would feel more comfortable during that period if Mike Pence was in charge, because he probably wouldn't be as crazy as Donald Trump would be in that period of time when he has nothing to lose and, and you know, just wants to like make a mess of everything. 
Um, Trump is different than Trump is different than 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 a lot of elected Republicans, but at the same time, the party has become so Trumpified um, that it is kind of hard to distinguish between him and 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 his supporters, who obviously, you know, he puts out a tweet and says something, and they all parrot exactly what he's saying with, you know, with no questions about it. So um, I don't know. I, I think we're 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 going down a rabbit hole, Jeremy, of trying to figure out the difference between Trump and 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 other Republicans. Um, don't you think if he if he loses uh, that and at this point it look again it's uh, it's it's two thirty on uh, on the fifth it looks like he will lose but by a narrow margin uh, depending on what you're reading I guess that might say the opposite but don't you think that let's say that if the next the next Republican uh, nominee, whoever it is, the, the Republicans will fall in line with that individual as well, whether it's whomever it is, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, whoever it is, doesn't matter. Don't you think they'll support that person and the Trumpism will float away? I, I don't. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, kid. No, I, I look, I think that, that you know, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm very frustrated at the state of the world right now. Um, and I've just, you know, I've been, you know, trying to, to, to make heads or tails of the way things are, are going. I work in politics. I, I, I hear this every day, talk to people about this every day. It's been exhaust, an exhausting five years, five years and four months since uh, the candidate declared himself. It's been an exhausting uh, period of time. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that that you know, once we're past this, it'll be easier to to, to have these conversations because there isn't a two hundred and seventy pound elephant in the room. You know, to me, that the the, the larger issue is, um, you know, when you think about the bonds that bind us as, as as Americans, you know, they're becoming more frayed. People don't join churches and bowling leagues. I mean, we know all this. They're they're the suburb. The, you know, more and more people are living. You know, the, the rural, sorry, the rural versus urban divide is getting greater. The blue area versus red area is getting greater. You know, I, I think that there, there, uh, you know, a few, a few things would help. I, one, one is, um, I think the, the, the news industry needs to be reimagined. That there's a, a bill to make uh, news uh, nonprofit, uh, news uh, outlets nonprofits, which I think would you know, and then you'd have folks saying, okay, well, if you're a news agency and you have this nonprofit status and you're advocating for a candidate, you're going to lose your, 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 well, but by the way, just, just, just to put it out there, I have spent the last 20 years working in a nonprofit news organization. So they, they do exist. <laughs> exactly. No, that's why I said that. Um, cause I remember that bill, you know, I think there's a, there's another bill in Congress, um, that, that needs to be strengthened that would essentially give, um, that's me. What's it in English? Like a year of service, uh, like a year of national service to, for people to go into different parts of the country. So, you know, whether it be AmeriCorps or Peace Corps or City Year or whatever, like the idea that, that I know, I definitely agree that, that, you know, if you're a living in, 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 in many, you know, Minneapolis in a, in, a, in a blue area and you go out to like rural Idaho for a, for a year or two, I think that there are lessons that both the people in Idaho and the people in Minneapolis can learn so I think I think there are at the margins things to improve um but I just I think you know I honestly just think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better and I think that there's got to be I mean I hate to say this but I'm sort of waiting for whatever that next tragedy is 
you know, we started the episode talking about it to bring us back together because outside of that, I don't see, I thought COVID was going to be it, right? Like if we, you know, if, if we can't have a pandemic where 235,000 people die, bring us together, um, maybe it's something worse. I don't know what that is, but, uh, you know, there ha- seems to be that there, there has to be some outside event that is divorced from politics. Obviously, COVID was not divorced from politics because only, you know, uh, because ma- mask wearing became political for some stupid reason. Um, so, so I think that some sort of outside event will have to bring us together. But for the time being, you know, I, uh, I know you, you know, you want to, when you sent me the email about this, this, this episode seemed a little bit kumbaya. I'm, I'm not there yet, Jeremy, or other Jeremy. Oh, that's fair. I think, I, I feel like we're, we're, we're several decades away from getting out of the hole that the last 10 or 15 years of social media and the last five years of Trump have dug for us. So check, uh, check, check on me again when I'm 53. <laughs> I hope it does. Like, no, social media absolutely plays a role. Jeremy, any thoughts on like the healing, which yeah, I- Yeah, look, I, and by the way, while I have this angelic light um, shining on there, <laughs> I, I love to say, uh, I just, I just read this book a couple of months ago and, and interviewed the, the author of it. And it, it, it's a book called um, Tribes by David Lammy, who's this black labor member of parliament in the UK, who talks about the fact that, you know, he's, a, from, he's from an actual African tribe ancestrally. Um, he's, uh, his family also comes from Guyana. Um, he's from a tribe of people who grew up in London. He's from a tribe of his neighborhood. He's from a tribe in terms of being a, a, a black um, English man. Um, and, and he talks about how we, how we end up associating with these different tribes throughout our lives. And of course, political tribes are a huge part of that too. I think that, you know, um, getting the incentive of, of um, money out of it and going to Gabe's point about the media, about, about, po- about money and politics, people that exploit these sort of these tribes that we, we find ourselves in and, and divide us, um, I think is a big part of that, of that problem. And social media is huge in that too, because you know, if you look at, he talks in this book about even you know, people who have been radicalized as terrorists you know, and, and how they end up, how that ends up happening to them. And a lot of that ends up being um, you know, social media, that that's where they're getting their information. That's who's driving them in a certain direction. Um, and then they end up going in and committing a terrorist attack or something like that. But I think, I think that's, that's sort of key to it. You know, like you started this off by saying that you guys went to camp together and you and I were in a fraternity together. That's a, that's a piece of my life that I think of as a positive piece of my life. Um, uh, the fact that I was at NPR for a long time, I think it was a positive piece of my life that, you know, I, I'm half Jewish my mom, on my mom's side, I'm, I'm half English on my dad's side. Those are all pieces of my identity. Um, you know, if there were ever a war between, you know, the Jews and the Brits, I don't know how it'd come down. <laughs> well, I hope you're on my team. <laughs> we need all the help we can get. So, yeah, I think that, you know, I think you both talked about it. You know, I always, I once had a dinner, um, I was staying, I was doing a speaking gig uh, as a rabbinical student and I stayed at someone's home and he was telling me that the greatest, you know, what the biggest, this was years ago, right? I was still a student. And he said that like, not serving your country is a huge problem because you don't take into account how fragile it is. 
and and I don't think he meant um, like go to war per se, Gabe. You know, there's other ways to to uh, to serve your country, but to understand to like give of yourself to something a larger whole. And right now, besides taxes, um, and, and they're they're really we don't owe anything. We take or we want to take. And that, that is a holistic issue, I think, that, that, that Americans suffer from. Um, it, 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 there's too much emphasis on the self and just what I'm doing today and what that will do to me and how, and, you know, and that, and, that, and that includes everyone. That includes all sides, that includes everyone who votes. You, you vote for usually what's gonna make your situation better. Um, and that is, if we could serve the country in some form, Gabe, I would be, and now granted, we would probably be aged out of It'd that requirement. Dark, it's yeah. easier to say, but if they told me my children had to, I would say, yes, I think that's important. And um, again, I don't think I'd want my daughters to go maybe fight overseas, but they could, you know, certainly live in a, another area. Maybe it's religion. Maybe we spent, yeah. No, I was just saying the, the 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 if you think about American history, the one of the greatest influences in terms of you know breaking down some barriers along racial lines and breaking down some barriers on LGBT lines has been the military, right? Mm -hmm. The first, you know, when the the, the military integrated uh, in the '40s and '50s, that was a huge step. Obviously, it didn't, you know do everything it did like you know one tenth of everything but it was it was that step was probably larger than any other single thing that happened um to improve racial relations and you know one of the biggest drivers i think of uh you know same-sex marriage and uh, full equality for lgbtq citizens was the the fight against don't ask don't tell i think that really got a lot of people uh thinking changed a lot of people's thinking saying okay well if, you know if, if gay people can't serve that's ridiculous and okay then they can serve and of course they should marry i feel like you know, was, you know maybe a, a little bit of a bank shot but it got us to to a better situation today so i do you know again the last five years aside i do think that you know if we find you know our our our, our brethren uh between the 30 yard lines or between the 40 yard lines and you know, may, they may not be right here, but they may be somewhere else in the country and we can work with them together. Obviously not as 38 year olds, but maybe our kids when they're 18, um, then, then I think that that would, that would do a whole lot of that. Not, you know, those are my two solutions for the day, trying to be positive is, is nonprofit news and, and your national service. But, but beyond walking a mile in someone's shoes and just you know, messing with the far left and the far right news organizations that are exploiting us, uh, I got nothing else, so hopefully the Jeremy's can save us on, on any other accounts. Jeremy, anything else to add? No, I think that's a good good uh, ender there. <laughs> so I want to thank both my guests. It's fixthecourt.com. Yes. Jeremyhopson.com. Is that a thing? No, but Jeremy Hobson on Twitter. There you oh, go. Jeremy Hobson on Twitter. So follow both these guys. Uh, appreciate your time and your dedication and. Gabe, we will make this world a better place. I'm a rabbi. I have to say that. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll but, I'll need your partner. You're not like me because my dad's a rabbi. So I'm just <laughs> Fair enough. Thank you, everyone.
This might have been my favorite episode of all time. Not just because these were two friends of mine, two very impressive individuals, but because this topic is so very, very important. As we saw even in our talk and our discussion, this is not easy. Media and difference of opinions and separation of different states and what it means to be an American is very confusing at this time. But it's unity. It's coming together. It's finding commonalities, pushing out wrongs, and understanding differences both in backgrounds and in perspective that will keep us from, keep us from polarizing each other more and bringing us even closer together. I hope that our new government can do that. And I hope that people down the line understand the importance of being together, sharing meals, sharing thoughts and perspectives, and treating each other with respect is above all else important. Because at the end of the day, we all want love. We all want our loved ones around us. And we all want to heal as human beings. I want to thank my guests, Gabe Roth and Jeremy Hobson. Special thank you to Todd Kessler for his music. I'm your host, Jeremy Fine, and this has been another episode of the Religion of Human Nature podcast. Mm-hmm.